0: welcome to the city reach baptist podcast if you would like more information about the life of our church please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on facebook we hope you enjoy this message well my name is carl and i serve in the young adults ministry here at church if you're new with us tonight it is so great that you're here it is our joy to be able to host you um we're going to put, give you the um, theme of our message right up top. So if you are taking notes, if you're following us along, the theme of tonight is um, putting off worldly wisdom and embracing godly wisdom. Putting off worldly wisdom and embracing godly wisdom. You know, this week I was praying and I was reading my Bible, and um, I saw in the, in the Scriptures that I was reading is that in the Bible there is presented two fathers, right? There are two fathers in Scripture, There is our heavenly Father who loves us and who delights to give us good gifts. That if you're a child of the Father, God's word to you is that he delights to give you good gifts. This is what the Bible says. It says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We have a heavenly Father, don't we? Who delights to give us good good gifts. But we also see in Scripture that there is another father. That's what the Bible says in John 44. He's described in John eight forty-four. He's described in this way. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Two fathers. Now, this father The father of lies is the devil, and he does not have the same power as our heavenly father. Our heavenly father has more power. This um, father of lies does not have the same uh, privileges that our heavenly father does, but this father of lies does have an agenda. And his agenda is to deceive you into not trusting your good and gracious father to cast aside the wisdom that he has given you in favor of the wisdom of the world. And I wanna tell you a story that I've already told you before, is that um, when I was in my 20s, I decided to forego the wisdom of God and embrace the wisdom of the world. And so in my 20s, I was having to wrestle with my faith and I had these big questions of God that I was too scared to tell anyone about in my church, so my wisdom told me to leave the church. And so I left the church and spent time away from the church and I didn't know what to do with my life and so I ended up in a psychologist chair asking questions about my identity and my purpose and so I decided any identity and any purpose in life was going to be good enough for me. And so I um, pursued, rather than matters of the soul, I pursued matters of the flesh. And so I journeyed into bodybuilding. And I got into bodybuilding and I thought that that was going to fill me up. My wisdom told me that that was going to give me my great identity. And so I went into my first competition and I placed second and I was so excited, I nearly cried and I went home and sat in my living room and once everybody left, I had this incredibly hollow feeling, right? Wisdom told me that any identity, that any purpose was good enough and it left me wanting. Why is that? Well, this is what it says in Matthew 7. These are Jesus' words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And great was the fall of it. I built my world in my 20s on the foundation of worldly wisdom and when I needed it the most, it abandoned me. The first lie that we're going to be returning to sender in this new series, right? We are starting a new series where we're going to be returning the lies that the father of lies gives us. We're going to return them to sender, and we're going to embrace God's godly wisdom. The first lie that we will be returning to sender will be that godly wisdom is not to be trusted. It's the same lie that the father of lies told Adam and Eve in the garden, It is the same lie that uh, the father of lies told Jesus when he was out in the wilderness, and it's the same lie that he tells us all the time, and that's we cannot trust godly wisdom. And this lie destroys marriages, this lie destroys friendships, and this lie destroys careers. But the good news is that God actually wants you to be be wise. This is what Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, "'For the Lord gives wisdom.'" From his mouth come knowledge and come understanding. God wants you to be wise and not any kind of wisdom. He doesn't want you just to have some some success in your work or some success in your family and then not, not know him. And when your life would finish, you would depart from him. But no, God wants you to have godly wisdom. So you would know the intimacy of knowing your heavenly father and you would be able to flourish in life. So that is our pursuit tonight, godly wisdom. So let's start by looking at the world of godly wisdom. What do we mean by wisdom? The Bible never gives us this neat little one-line definition. You ever wish that the Bible just gave you this one thing that you're asking for? Well, the Bible doesn't give us this neat little definition of wisdom. It tells us that we can get wisdom, it tells us that wisdom is available, it tells us that we should pursue wisdom, it tells us that we should apply wisdom, but it never gives us this nice little neat definition. It seems that when people spoke about godly wisdom, everyone knew what they were talking about. So let me give you a definition of godly wisdom and then let me defend it. This is godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is the quality of being able to flourish in God's world through applying right knowledge and right discernment unto a righteous goal. Godly wisdom is the quality of being able to flourish in God's world through applying right knowledge and right discernment unto a righteous goal. How do we come to that definition? It's through a survey of scriptures like Proverbs 3.13. It says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. This tells us that wisdom is available. Job 12:13 says, "With God are wisdom and might; He has counsel and understanding." This tells us that God is the source of wisdom. Ephesians 5:15 says, "Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the understand what the will of the Lord is." This tells us that God's will and God's wisdom are connected. But there is one passage in scripture where the essential elements of wisdom all converge, and they appear in this passage in 2 Chronicles, where we meet what the Bible describes that at the time was the most wisest person walking on the face of the earth, King Solomon. And King Solomon came to inherit the kingdom of Israel from his father David in his 20s, right? A young boy. He inherits the kingdom of Israel in his 20s. This man needs some wisdom. And so God comes to him in the midst of a deep sleep and we pick it up in verse 7. So look down in your Bibles again in verse 7. It says, In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, now be fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great?" Uh, This passage illustrates three incredible attributes of wisdom. And the first is this, that Solomon recognised the right source of godly wisdom. Solomon recognised the right source of godly wisdom. Look at verse 9 again. "O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge." Solomon rightly recognised that God is not just all-powerful, but God is all-knowing, that God has wisdom. That in Genesis 1, we received the account that God created a world with order, and he put Adam and Eve in that order and told them to be fruitful and to multiply, and that they would rule over this world that had a created, perfect order. And what Solomon knew that even though Adam and Eve uh, sinned against God and God cursed this world, that still God remained to be the all-knowing God even in the midst of a world of utter confusion. Solomon goes to the right source. You ever heard someone say, what would God know about problems? What would God know about my problems? It's like people treat God like he's the, um, the kid in kindergarten that gets the Play-Doh and gets the buttons and gets a stick and sticks it all together and then gives it to you and says, here, I made this for you. And you ask, well, what does it do? And the kid says, I have no idea what it does. But I made it for you. That's not what God has done. God hasn't made a world that's spinning out of control that has no point, that has no plan. No, God is all-powerful and he's created a world with a created order and he is all-knowing. He knows how that world works. I love what um, our pre-marriage counsellor said. Uh, we were in pre-marriage counselling, my wife and I, uh, just getting ready to get hitched, my fiancé and I, getting ready to get hitched. And he said to us, "Before, um, when you fight, which you will, my promise to you, uh, when you fight, uh, rather than running to a friend, rather than running to someone else, remember, God created this world. He's designed it to flourish, and he still knows how best it works. Run to God. If you're in the midst of a crisis now, you, you've finished university, you've finished uh, year 12, and you don't know what to do in university, God has wisdom for you. If your family is falling apart, God has wisdom for you. If you're in a relationship and you feel like it's going nowhere, God has wisdom for you because he is the source of all wisdom. This is God's world and he has not abandoned it. But how do we flourish, right? If God were to appear to you tonight and ask you what you wanted and you knew that God was the source of all wisdom, what would you ask for? Well, Solomon doesn't just know that God is the right source of wisdom. He also makes the right request of God. We have a right source, and then we see a right request. Look down at verse 10. He says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Solomon asks for both wisdom and knowledge. What what does he mean here? Because in the Bible, these these words are intertwined. In Scripture, we see that this word knowledge often refers to a skill set of someone, a general skill or a specific skill. But wisdom is always about someone applying that knowledge into a situation that is incredibly complicated and complex. And he asks for not just knowledge, but he is desperate for wisdom, and it reminds me of the very first day that I stepped into ministry at this church. Uh, I was excited about um, starting in ministry and I'd read these books and um, I'd, I'd like, listened to these podcasts and I thought that I needed all this knowledge to be able to do the job that I was called to do. And then very quickly, I realized that the world that we live in isn't black and white and I didn't just need knowledge, I needed wisdom. Because on one end, I got phone calls saying that um, that the music in church is too loud, and then I got a phone call saying the music in church is too quiet, and then I got a phone call saying we need to play newer songs, and then I got a phone call saying we need to play some older songs, and then I looked out and I saw 120 young adults, each with 100 different problems. Who should I start with first? In the surrounding area of Northgate, we have 1,500 young adults just around this church. How are we going to reach them? In ministry, it's exactly just like life, isn't it? You don't just need to know about stuff. You need the ability to discern how to apply that knowledge rightly into the right context. Even before Solomon started as king, he knew that he needed discernment. He, needed that he, he knew that he needed more than knowledge. He needed godly wisdom. And this conviction proved itself straight after he had this dream. You might remember the story that these two women come into Solomon, come into Solomon's kingdom, and they ask him this question We both are saying that this child is ours. You tell us what we should do. And one of the women says that, well, her baby died in the night, and she's just claiming this one as her own. So we have these two women who are grieving. These two women who have an incredibly complicated situation and they say to Solomon, what should we do? And Solomon says, cut the baby in half. Out of control, right? He's got knowledge of a sword and his advice is to cut the baby in half. But Solomon knew something about wisdom that many of us would only realise in hindsight is that a mother would never want to see her baby harmed. And so one woman says, it's fine, you can cut the baby in half. And the other woman says, no, please don't. Revealing the true mother. Solomon knew that he needed to go to the right source, but then he needed to make the right request. Not just incredible knowledge, but he needed wisdom. Because people use knowledge in ways that are very, very unwise. Don't they? We see people that study scriptures, and instead of using it to bless people, they use it to cut people down. You see, people go to university and get knowledge, and instead of using that knowledge to make our world a better place, they use it for selfish gain to make other people feel inferior. If we want to flourish in God's world, we need more than just knowledge. We need the ability to discern. We need wisdom. Remember our definition. Godly wisdom is the quality of being able to flourish in God's world through applying right knowledge and right discernment. But there is no point in knowing the right source and making the right request if you're doing it for selfish gain. And I spent many of my years in my 20s asking prayers of the Lord, that the Bible actually says that God didn't even hear these prayers. It's what Psalm says. Psalm says if you cherish sin in your heart, then God will not hear your prayers. We actually don't just need the right source and the right request, we actually need a righteous goal. Look down at verse 11, he says, "'God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, "'and you have not asked for possessions or wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, "'and have not even asked for a long life, "'but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, "'that you may govern my people, "'over whom I have made you king, Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Why was God pleased to answer Solomon's request? It was because of what he asked for and for what he did not ask for. What did he not ask for? He didn't ask for possessions, a bigger palace, a greater statue. He didn't ask for wealth to sleep on a bed of gold. He didn't ask for honor for people to praise him. He didn't ask for the life of his enemies for his enemies to suffer. He didn't ask for a long life, for him to be provided with comfort, but not to have the wisdom to be able to provide that comfort to other people. What did he ask for? Verse 11 tells us. God says to him, But you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. What was the righteous goal of Solomon? To govern God's people well. So let me ask you, If God was to give you wisdom over the situation that is bringing you the most complications and the most difficulties in your life right now, if God was to speak wisdom into that situation, who would be most glorified? Would it be God or would it be yourself? Because the gift that we have is that we are able to glorify God. And when we glorify God, God comes into our life and Christ in us overflows out of us. The gift of coming into relationship with God is that God's desires will become our desires. And so what do you do if you don't have a righteous goal? Well, Solomon would say this, I believe, when he wrote Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. God's wisdom only comes to those people who have a fear of the Lord, a reverence for the Lord, an awe for the Lord. Then the beautiful things happen. Beautiful thing happens. God's desires become your desires. Godly wisdom is the quality of being able to flourish in God's world through applying right knowledge and right discernment unto a righteous goal. So how do we get it? How do we get godly wisdom? If God wants us to be wise, how do we get it? Because this is what the Bible says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. But how do you get it and how do you make sure that the wisdom that you get is actually wisdom that's going to benefit you? Because we've all had friends that have said things that we thought were wise but were not actually wise when we applied them, right? Like I had someone who told me that you won't get caught for speeding as long as you drive only 9% over the speed limit. Ever heard that? So 65 in a 60 zone, you're all good. 109 in, 110, in a 100 zone, you're all good. That advice cost me $350. I had, so, someone gave me the advice, if you're trying to lose weight, only eat when you're hungry. I'm hungry all the time, right? So how do we make sure that the wisdom that we're receiving is the kind of wisdom that's going to cause us to flourish in God's world? Well, let's look at the way of wisdom. Uh, Firstly, we know that God's wisdom can come from the Spirit of God. This is what 1 Corinthians 12 verse 8 says. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to that same Spirit. The Spirit of God is able to give you wisdom. And James affirms this. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And we know what this means, right? That God promises you to give you wisdom. And he will be generous with that wisdom. And he will give it to all who ask. Not just to the people that you think are the spiritually elite, or the people that grew up in the church, or the people that are standing up on platform. God will give wisdom to all without reproach. What does it mean with reproach? This is a beautiful thing here. It's that even if your own foolishness got you in this situation that you need godly wisdom for, if you surrender unto the Lord, repent and worship the Lord, then he will be generous with his wisdom towards you. Amen? What an incredible gift. Our God is generous. So God speaks to us through his spirit. But how do we know that it is actually the spirit that's speaking to us and we haven't deceived ourselves, we haven't just had too much sugar, or not enough sugar, or too much sleep, or not enough sleep, or we've eaten too much, or we haven't eaten enough, right? How can we test it? Well, we get godly wisdom by God's spirit, but we also get godly wisdom by God's word. This is what Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Corinthians also tells us that God is not the author of confusion. The Spirit of God will never, ever disagree with the Word of God. And the Word of God will never, ever contradict the Spirit of God. How do we know? Because it's the same voice. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof. So you know that if in your gut you feel like the Spirit of God has spoken to you and you check the Bible and it doesn't line up, then you've got a problem. That's not the Spirit of God speaking to you. But if you go to God's Word after the Spirit speaks to you and you see what the Spirit spoke to you lining up with Scripture, then you can have great confidence. But... What do you do if you the Spirit speaks to you? You feel like the Spirit speaks to you, and then you um, go to God's Word and you don't understand it. You ever open up the Bible and not understood it? I better see some hands right now. I appreciate you, you humble City Reach. You Spirit speaks to you. You go to God's Word and you don't understand it. Well, friends, we get wisdom through the Spirit we get wisdom through the word, and we also get God's wisdom through the church, right? This is what Paul says in Romans. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and are able to instruct each other. So what that means is that when you're in a crisis and you've prayed and you feel like God has spoken to you and you go to God's word and you don't understand or, or even if you do, what you get to do is you get to go to other godly men and women in the church and say, does this line up? We are not on our own in this church, right? We're not a series of, a series of individual people all competing against each other. We're actually in a family, it's our job to look out for one another. Uh, when I was, um, when I, about six years ago, I had a big decision to make and it was about who I was gonna marry, right? And I was praying and I, about who I should marry, not that I had many options, mind you, but um, I was dating a beautiful woman named Rebecca and I prayed to the Lord, and I had peace about that decision. I believed God spoke to me. It wasn't audible, but I had this real settling in my spirit, and I believed God had spoken. And so I opened up my Bible, and I, I looked at it, and I surveyed it, and said, is there anything in here that's warning me not to get married to her? And she was a Christian, and I was a Christian, and so I saw that was all good. And so the next thing I did was booked an appointment with the pastor at my church to ask him whether he saw anything that I didn't see. That is the gift that we have, right? To lean upon each other, not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. I would encourage all of you, if any of you are thinking about getting married, book an appointment with a pastor, or book an appointment with a real life group leader, or speak to Lou George, or speak to someone wise in your church and ask them the question, do you see something I don't see? before you decide what you're going to do at university for the next four years, speak to godly men and women around you and say, do you see something I don't see? Or if you're thinking about signing up to a pyramid scheme that looks like a pyramid scheme because it actually is a pyramid scheme, ask someone around you, do they see something that you don't see? God doesn't want to hide wisdom from you. He wants to reveal wisdom to you so you can flourish in his world. Use the church, use the church. So we get wisdom by um, God's spirit. We get wisdom by um, God's word. And we get wisdom through God's church. And I want to give you another way that we receive wisdom, and I want to put it in our last point tonight. I want to speak to you about uh, the warning of wisdom. The warning of wisdom. There are three books in the Bible that are often referred to as wisdom literature. They are um, Proverbs, they are Ecclesiastes, and they are Job, right? And they each give us a different perspective on what wisdom is. Uh, uh, Proverbs tells us that um, God wants us to flourish in life and that he can be trusted. And uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that life is complicated and that a great fall has happened and there is a created order that is now broken. But in the midst of that created order, God can be trusted. Then we have the book of Job, and the book of Job tells us that bad things are gonna happen to good people. But God is still sovereign and he can be trusted. So here's the warning of wisdom. Even though God has revealed his wisdom, don't put your trust in circumstances Put your trust in the Lord for only He is trustworthy. For only He is trustworthy. It may be that in your life you are applying God's wisdom as best as you know how. And the way that God may choose to glorify Himself in your life is by using you to be the next Job. Right? And so, what do you do in that situation? where um, your life is crumbling down around you and maybe you lose a loved one or you lose a job or you get a diagnosis that you didn't think that you were going to get. What do you do? There is another um, way that we receive wisdom in Scripture. Let me read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians. It says this, And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ became wisdom for us. Revealing to us that one can suffer. That one can suffer in this world. And God is still sovereign, and he still loves his children. That if in your life right now, you've experienced great loss and great suffering, then the call on your life isn't to run to worldly wisdom. The call on your life is to stare at the cross. Is to remind yourself that God went to the cross of his own accord in the person of Jesus Christ. I understand, I understand what the song Reckless Love is trying to say, right? It's a Christian song. We haven't sung it in this church. I understand what it's trying to say. It's, it's describing God's love as reckless in that God put himself in harm's way because he loved us. I understand it's poetry. But what it can confuse is what reckless has always meant. And that means spinning wildly out of control. And Jesus was not spinning wildly out of control when he went to the cross. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he chose to do it anyway. That from the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth, the Bible says that your name was written in the book of life. An incredible promise, amen? And so before time, God knew that a fall was going to happen, that this world would be disordered and a punishment would need to be put onto some people or to someone and rather than casting it on you, he cast it on Jesus. So the suffering that Jesus received was not a surprise. It was not Jesus spinning wildly out of control. It was Jesus putting himself in harm's way for the sake of bringing righteousness on his people. So when you experience suffering, you can know that God is still sovereign, that God still loves you, that God still cares for you. And that because of this great news of the gospel, Revelation tells us that there is a day coming where he will wipe every tear from every eye. And the Bible does say that he's God is working all things together for his goodness. And we would love if at the end of that sentence it says, and God will always tell us why he's doing all of those things. But it doesn't say that. It says that when we get to heaven, he will wipe every tear from our eye. And the Bible says, better is one day. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The call of scripture, right, is to embrace godly wisdom, to receive godly wisdom. And in the seasons of your life where things don't work out in the way that you hoped for, you would worship Jesus, reminding yourself that he is sovereign and that we can trust in him. Let's pray together, church. God, I just thank you for your revelation in your word that reminds us that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, that even if we experience suffering in this world, that when we see you in glory, you'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And Lord, I know there are people in this room that are suffering now, that feel like they're, they're doing all that they can do, that they are living out of a, heart of worship, that they're enjoying your good grace, that they're applying spiritual disciplines and yet their family is in ruin and their job isn't working out and they don't feel like they're flourishing in this world. God, I would just ask that in this moment would you just remind them that you are still sovereign. You never stopped being sovereign and you love them and you never stopped loving them. God, we just thank you that you, your love for us, and the way that you went to the cross was not you spinning wildly out of control, but it was you choosing to lay your life down that we might experience peace with you. And so I just pray, God, that as we worship now, that you would remind us of your glorious goodness, that we can trust you even in the midst of the storms. Amen.